Join us in a world where you're listening to Ballistic Radio. Sit back as we discuss hard-won lessons from the best and brightest that the personal defense and competition shooting industry has to offer. Let us help you help yourself, no matter where you are in your personal path. Ballistic Radio, brought to you by LuckyGunner.com and Federal Premium Ammunition. They paid for this, so you don't have to. Now here's your host, John Johnston. Welcome to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by LuckyGunner.com and Federal Premium Ammunition. They paid for this, so you don't have to. I'm your host, John Johnson. Remember, you can always listen to past shows at BallisticRadio.com. Get the latest behind-the-scenes info, arguments, photos, videos, other things at Facebook.com slash BallisticRadio. Hey, Joe. Feels like we just did this an hour ago. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm happy to be here. I'm, so uh, am I. It, it's good. It's good to be productive. But you know what else is good? What's going on? This segment happens to also be brought to you by Lucky Gunner and Federal Premium Ammunition. Whether there was a firefight or you do, in fact, want to worry about that little guy, you need more ammo. And when it's time to restock, you can't beat Federal Premium Ammunition and LuckyGunner.com. With a shipping department that's always moving at 88 miles per hour, if I order a case of American Eagle from Lucky Gunner on a Thursday, it's at my doorstep ready to shoot before the weekend starts. Head to LuckyGunner.com today to check out their in-stock lineup of Federal Premium Ammunition. And remember, unless you're on fire or drowning or, I don't know, stuff um, moving, you can never really have too much ammo. So super excited to have on the show today Professor David Yamane. David, how's it going? I'm doing well. Thanks very much for having me. Oh, dude, I uh, I appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to uh, to be here. You've always got super interesting things to say, and um, I I highly suspect today will be no different. Though, uh, hopefully, I didn't jinx us. So, all right, no pressure. No, no, no pressure. Nothing matters anyway, David. I I'm just saying. Um, we believe in nothing. About oh wait, I don't think I have the copyright permission to do that. Anyway. Uh, I'm I'm going to stop now. <laughs> For those that don't know, uh, who are you and what do you do? Uh, well, I am a professor of sociology at Wake Forest University in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Uh, spent most of my career studying uh, religion and shifted over the past seven or so years to studying American gun culture. Okay. Now, so originally, I had uh, I. And, and we'll probably still talk about this. I had sort of wanted to talk about um, advertising and how how the firearms community advertises their products because that's a really interesting thing. But you you said something that you know me being who I am and having a ADHD that strikes me we haven't ever talked about before. Um, what are the similarities between religion and gun culture? Have you have you noticed any? Are they are they shockingly similar? Do they have correlations with one another? Or is it just like two completely separate things? Yeah, well, it's uh, I think something that because I made such a hard shift away from the study of religion to the study of guns that I probably underthought just because I'm trying to leave my past behind. Although I keep getting dragged back uh, toward the religion side of things. So thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Um, You're welcome. Yeah, you know, I think that if you think about uh, 
guns uh, as being a part of a culture. Uh, religion also is a culture, and so there you can analyze the the values, beliefs, norms, practices that go into each. Uh, so you know, really, any human activity can be analyzed from that kind of cultural perspective. Uh, and then when you know you kind of dig into what really sets religion apart from other domains of human life. It's sort of that uh, transcendent dimension uh, that really powerfully motivates uh, people's beliefs and values. So whether, you know, you call that God or the sacred or the cosmos or however people understand that, that's always really been what set religion apart from other domains of social life. Mm -hmm. Uh, So to the extent that people in gun culture are starting to treat I'm not saying they are, but to the extent that they do treat guns as uh, sort of more sacred objects, perhaps, uh, more looking at them more kind of transcendentally, then I think you really can start to see parallels between religion uh, and uh, guns. And in that sense, sort of guns become or gun culture becomes a kind of quasi religion. And I don't know that that's a majority of people who feel that way. Yeah. Uh, but there are certainly some people who, you know, really seem to mystify or treat guns as a kind of sacred object that stands for much more than what it actually is uh, in terms of being a humanly made technology. Well, and that was actually sort of the 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 thing that struck me when you said that was just sort of the elements of faith that are involved in both and, and sort of... Um, very complex ideas represented very, very simply, but not, you know, I don't know if that makes sense or not. Um, yeah, well, people, you know, people latch on to latch on to things, uh, you know, without being uh, sort of critical and certain forms of religion are certainly that way. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, no, you know, another thing is, uh, you know, if I, if I think about the process by which I came into gun culture, you know, that was not, uh, unlike certain aspects of uh, religious conversion, you know, so we feel like the oftentimes conversion to religion is seen as this, you know, Saul on the road to Damascus moment where he's struck down and then all of a sudden he's converted. Whereas in reality, conversion is much more of a, a gradual process that happens because of your connections to other people and you're, you know, you're kind of gradually introduced into it. Uh, and I think that my, at least my experience of getting into guns from the outside was very much like that. It was happened because of my connections to certain people. I had some experiences. I reflected on those experiences. I learned a little bit more and I sort of gradually got, got in deeper and deeper. So, you know, the, the process by which one becomes a gun owner may be similar to the process by which someone becomes religious. Yeah, sorry. It was just it was this thing that um well, you've had enough conversations with me at this point that you <laughs> hopefully and you're sort of used to um the wild direction shifts that sometimes occur. So, um yeah, yeah. What, you know, you say what are we going to talk about and I know you're not going to actually talk about what you say we're going to talk about, so that's cool. Yeah, it's it's not on purpose. I I'm trying my best, I promise. <laughs> you know, it's uh <laughs> Very few of the things that I do are on purpose at this point, or maybe they all are, and that's just what I want people to think. Ooh. Yeah. Um, Devious. Crazy like a fox or something. Um, no, so and I, I don't I don't know that that has any bearing on 
on anything at all. It's just it's an interesting thing to me at least. So um, sort of sort of. And this is an ugly segue, and I usually like them to be more subtle than this and less abrupt. But um, what what have you noticed about how, you know, I guess this is a, a two-part question. We can touch on either one that you want first. How do you what, – what have you noticed about how guns are marketed and sold to people uh, would be question number one. And then question number two – uh, what have you noticed about how training is marketed and sold to people, and are they are they approached the same way or not? And we'll just sort of get into that for a little while. Oh, well, I, I can talk for sure about the the first, and maybe I'll, uh, based on what I say, you can help me to answer the second because I haven't specifically looked at at training. I've mostly looked at how products are sold, uh, and I think you know the interesting thing about uh, how guns are sold to people is that they're not they're sold to people like any product is sold to people so if you look at gun advertising over time just stylistically the way gun advertisements look sort of change in the way that all advertisements look so you know lots of text and explanation and you know maybe some pictures or oftentimes drawings say, 100 years ago and today, you know, much fewer fewer words and more prominent and dramatic pictures. And that's, you know, the same whether you're advertising a gun or a saw or, you know, um, an appliance for your house. So uh, I think some people try to, to think about gun advertising as a separate category from other advertising. But generally, the, the way guns are marketed to people uh, is the same in terms of the format. Now, in terms of the the substance, I think that, you know, we definitely see you know, some of the changes I've documented uh, in my work over time of uh, the the emphases within gun culture. Uh, as those change, those changes get reflected in what what's advertised uh, and how. So much more emphasis today on uh, uh, defensive guns, uh, carry guns and all of the other products that go along with our, our gun culture 2.0, as I say. Uh, although, you know, there's still a robust uh, amount of advertising for every other conceivable subculture within uh, American culture. Um, you know, then within, within uh, that category of defensive and concealed carry advertising, you have to motivate people to want your products and oftentimes the way that the the motivation happens is that uh, you're selling something that's either technically better for the for the purpose of defense or carry or you know you have to motivate people to think that you actually need this product to live so uh, lots of emphasis on surviving fights or having your gun with you when you need it then you never know when you're going to need it so i think that's a, a definite definite change in uh, what we see in advertising. Right. Um, let's do this. we got to go to break, and we will talk more about that. Um, right now we're talking with uh, Professor Yamane. Uh, wait, Professor David Yamane. I will, I, will, I will use the whole thing. And you're listening to Ballistic Radio. Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by LuckyGunner.com and Federal Premium Ammunition. They paid for this. So you don't have to. 
This segment brought to you by Wilson Combat. Wilson Combat, makers of the finest custom 1911s and scatterguns since 1977. A legacy of quality, innovation, and service. Learn more about their firearms and accessories, as well as the new EDC X9L Longslide, which offers discriminating shooters 1911 match-grade accuracy, superior ergonomics and concealability. With modern service pistol capacity, they got 15 and 18 round flavors, as well as reliability, at www.wilsoncombat.com. Um, so we're talking with uh, Professor David Yamane about whatever bounces around in, uh, in my head. But right now we're talking about how guns are advertised and sold to people. And, you know, you were, you were sort of saying that the way advertising has changed inside of the firearms community has sort of trended along with the way advertising in general has changed. And, um, you know, it's interesting because just while we were speaking, I just became aware that I'm saying interesting too much, just like I always do. And apparently there are a group of people that play a drinking game where they take a shot. Oh, no. Yeah, every time I say interesting. Um, and uh, there's apparently been like 72 hospitalizations off of this. I don't, something about alcohol poisoning. I don't, I don't know. Um, but well, that is interesting. Yeah, yeah. Now I really want to get somebody hammered and just start. No. Um, what you know? While we were speaking about this, and you mentioned that, um, I remembered an advertisement that I had seen previously for uh, Thompson submachine guns. So I know this. I know this advertisement is from before 1934 because um, it 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 has to have been. Um, but it depicts, you know, it's um, it's uh, an advertisement for the the Tommy gun, the you know ubiquitous uh, World War II American submachine gun, or any gangster movie you've ever seen submachine gun. And you used to be able to order those mail order, like you you send a check and they mail it to you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the adver- the advertisement is interesting because you've got this very what I would consider stereotypical cowboy looking guy on his front porch with um, let's see appears to be uh, one two three four five I guess these are horse thieves I don't know exactly what they are but bad guys in his mm-hmm. front yard and he's mowing them down with a machine gun. <laughs> from his front porch, uh, I've got, you know, you've got three or four guys that are in the process of being shot very clearly. And then you've got this very, you know, um, almost newspaper ad wall of text, um, you know, and it, it's, it strikes me that... Um, you wouldn't see an ad like this today, ever. Like, no, not even a little bit. And and that's kind of that's kind of intriguing because I think there's this idea that you know our society in general has become more violent and more prone to depicting violence, and that's not necessarily historically accurate. As far as in in advertising, what do you what do you think? 
Well, I, I, you know, here I definitely fall back on Steven Pinker's work uh, on violence over human history called The Better Angels of Our Nature. It's a massive book, like doorstopper-sized book, um, but it's definitely worth reading or skimming or finding something online where Pinker talks about this because, you know, he surveys the broad scope of human history and finds that we're actually in one of the most peaceful eras of human history ever. Like people used to be so much more violent, you know, to one another. And uh, the things that we would accept in terms of both interpersonal and intertribal violence, violence towards animals, uh, you know, games like bear baiting and other things, you know, that we we maybe don't think about as forms of human violence, but really reflect that, Um, you know, those were so much more prominent in the past than they are today, which, you know, doesn't mean like we should just sit back and congratulate ourselves for being so peaceful. Um, But it is, it's useful to have, have that kind of perspective. And I think one of the things I've enjoyed about looking at advertising over this, you know, hundred year history, you know, kind of having this collection of American riflemen magazines and, you know, just looking at what a, what the American riflemen looked like in 1918 is you, you surprise yourself at, at both the consistencies and the differences. And sometimes the differences aren't in the direction you think as in the case of this uh, Tommy gun ad that you mentioned. Yeah. Um, in terms of, of similarities, I mean, I'm looking at this ad for Colt Firearms from 1918, uh, Rifleman, and if I could just read the brief amount of text there, is, sure. you, know, you, can, you can see how this text could be in an ad today. So it says, on the battlefield, in the preservation of law and order, the protection of home and country, whenever and wherever armies or individuals have had to enforce right with might, Colt's firearms have been creating, building, and maintaining a reputation for merit, efficiency, and reliability that has resulted in a position of unquestioned superiority. Mm -hmm. You make no mistake when you follow the government's example and adopt Colt's firearms for your firearms needs, which is exactly the way guns are are sold today uh, in terms of associating it with, you know, good enough for the military, good enough for you. You know, these things are being used overseas in defense of freedom, protect your freedom with the same tool. Uh, and, you know, so uh, anybody who, who argues that that guns are, are being advertised uh, differently in terms of the language, the, the imagery, the symbolism today. Uh, now, of course, I'd argue that that ad is much more likely to appear today than it was back then. You know, that was, uh, you know, those themes were not as prevalent back in 2018 as they are if you pick up the rifleman today, but they were there. I, I think you misspoke and you meant 1918, but um, just, oh, yes. yeah, uh, just, just, well, and that's, that's really interesting too, because like most of the ads that, so I, I'm odd in that I'm, <clears throat> for someone of my age, I am much more interested in history than what I perceive is normal uh, for for my generation. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's my perception, right? Um, but I've spent, you know, I I really like the old, like nineteen early early turn of the last century um, stuff and like books and some of the advertisements and and things like that. But you know, I I can think of off the top of my head quite a few ads for um, I think there's one from the forties or fifties for Colt revolvers that 
uh, essentially, if if a creepy dude is is being inappropriate towards you, a Colt revolver is the best thing towards that. And it was targeted towards women. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you know, and I I think you 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 you've probably seen the ad I'm talking about. Um, there yeah. there's another one um, where. You know, when cars were relatively new, like having a gun in the glove box or in your coat pocket was seen as, you know, a very good idea for highwaymen, you know, you know, is, is defense against that. So, um, also, also for women, you know, like if you, what happens if you're, you're driving home at night and your car breaks down, mm -hmm. you know, same, same thing in the 1930s and forties as, as today, those, those same themes appear. Right. Um, We're actually looking right now at, uh, at at looking at gender in gun advertising over that same time period because there's been, you know, obviously the the stereotype of the the gun bunny and using you know women's sexuality to sell firearms to men, um, but you know I I have a suspicion that 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 too is overplayed at least if you look at the you know the paid advertisements and in gun magazines. So we're going to see how women appear in, in firearms advertising over a hundred years and, and see how they've been portrayed. And, uh, and I suspect that there'll be some surprises there along the lines that you just suggested. Ooh, I'm, I want to talk to you more about that once, uh, once you're done with it, we got to go to break and then we'll get back into this. Uh, right now we're talking with professor David Yamanik and you're listening to ballistic radio. Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by LuckyGunner.com and Federal Premium Ammunition. They paid for this, so you don't have to. This segment brought to you by BigTexOutdoors.com. BigTexOutdoors.com is the best place for you to find all of your everyday carry needs at the absolute best prices. Maybe you need all the lumens from Surefire at the lowest price? No problem. Spend too much time alone in your room, and now you need an RMR on your carry gun? Well, BigTexOutdoors.com has those, and they don't judge. Glock accessories, yes, fast, cheap shipping, 100% hassle-free returns, all that and more. And best of all, BigTexOutdoors.com has Ike. He's a good man and thorough. I like Ike, everybody likes Ike, and you'll like Ike too. Visit BigTexOutdoors.com today and find out what happens when every customer is a friend, not just an order. So you were you were telling me about this thing where you're going to look and see the uh, the the portrayal of, uh, of women in advertisement for firearms for the last hundred years. I'm, I'm really genuinely excited to, to hear about that because that has been, um, you know, from, from the training side of things and, um, for a lot of reasons that has become an area of interest for me. Just, you know, my, um, my, my business partner, Melody Lauer, watching her interact with people and how people, more importantly, interact with her has been very eye-opening. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and now as, as a father of a, of a five-year-old daughter, I'm very, very, very interested to see how the world interacts with her and how she interacts with it as she, you know, as she grows up. Um, do you have any predictions or would that be... Would that be beyond the scope of what you would like to talk about right now? No, and uh, you know one of the one of the things that part of this project came about. Obviously, there's so much of an emphasis uh, today on getting women into into guns, and uh, you know that's definitely an untapped 
market, but at the same time, uh, if we forget that sense of history, we lose track of the fact that women have always been, you know, involved in guns, you know, at yeah. a lower rate than men. But it's not like, you know, all of a sudden, uh, you know, refuse to be a victim program came out and women started getting into guns. Um, you know, so I have I was um, looking at ad looking at the advertising for this other project. You know, you go back to 1917, 1918, uh, American Rifleman, and there there are ads that show women champion shooters yeah uh you know i have the the 1955 guns magazine that's the first year that guns magazine was published they have a woman holding a, a shotgun with the the title on the cover says can women outshoot men right? <laughs> so you know so some of these things are are not at all new um and so i'm interested to see uh from the perspective of you know within gun culture how have women you know, how frequently have women appeared in advertising over time? And then, you know, in terms of that, uh, some of those pernicious ways that women have been portrayed as gun bunnies, you know, is that actually a way that that women have commonly been used to sell guns? And I, and I think not. I think those, you know, for whatever used to happen at the SHOT Show and, you know, other trade events, you know, at least in terms of the, the way that guns are advertised to, to women in mainstream magazines, yeah, I think they've been portrayed um, at least as well as they've been portrayed in selling other commercial products in in uh, general interest magazines. Yeah. Um, you know, there's no there's no Swedish bikini shooting team uh, in Guns magazine. Right. Well, and man, we could we could spend a lot of time on on that, and yeah. Um, so I guess as far as when you start looking at the historical record of of this and start looking at like the the common threads of how guns are sold to people um most of these advertisements if not all of them are centered around hey you've already decided that you're going to be a gun owner and you know, you've already made that decision, and here's the best one if you've already made this decision. There's not much advertisement for, hey, uh, we know you're kind of like iffy on this subject, uh, and here's some considerations for you. Uh, I I can't recall seeing anything like that that's like trying to introduce people into the shooting community. And, and I'm not saying that they don't exist, but like, have you encountered any? Well, I mean, it's hard to tell because I think ads are, are you know, they they both, we say they're a mirror and also a mold, right? So they both reflect what exists out there already, but then they also shape what exists going forward. So I think, you know, many ads do both. You know, they kind of reflect the fact that people already have an interest in this thing, say a subcompact gun but they can also shape people's interest in those things. So if someone, you know, is, uh, you know, a gun owner and is thinking about getting into carry, you know, if they see ads for certain carry guns, I could shape their interest in those particular ones. Or, you know, when I, before I knew anything about guns at all, I went to Barnes and Noble and grabbed up a bunch of gun magazines and started reading through them to learn about what type of different guns are there? What are the shapes and sizes and calibers and, so, you know, I, I do think that, 
you know, advertising can be influential for people who haven't already made up their mind or, you know, people who are, are kind of choosing between different options within a category. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and if, if that wasn't, you know, at least documentable to some extent, then, uh, you know, uh, I don't think that companies would continue to put money into some of these things. And, uh, you know, like you get something like the Ruger LCP, you know, certainly the, the advertising that, that went into selling that gun, uh, you know, helped to to make it the best seller that it was because other guns of that type had, you know, obviously pre-existed that that particular model. Um, so, you know, I think that if you think about the mirror and the mold, uh, that advertising tries to to do some of each. Well, and <clears throat> let me sort of shift directions a little bit, but uh, one of the things that is uh, I don't know if commonly discussed, but I, I've heard it brought up, um, is sort of like the presence of fear-based advertising. And this would get more into like the training, you know, the training side of thing. A lot of the, a lot of the training I see is very much sort of oriented towards, hey, if you don't do this, you're going to die. Sort of, and, and like I'm, I'm oversimplifying, but that seems to be the, you know, the base messaging behind it. I don't, I don't know if that's true or not, or if that's been your experience, but it's something I've seen a little bit of. Um, as far as the guns themselves, though, do you, do you see that? Do you see sort of like this? Hey, you better have this, or there's going to be a negative outcome, sort of thing, uh, portrayed a lot, or what? What do you think? Yeah, I think it, it's an interesting uh, dynamic, and I'm I'm a hundred percent not involved in advertising itself, so I don't know all the considerations that go into this. But uh, you know, fear can be a two-edged sword, you know, because in fact, you know, if you're if you're selling a product that's designed to protect you or help you protect yourself, then you kind of want to be you know selling the opposite of fear, right? More like if you have this. You, you don't need to be afraid. So I think if you play too much on, on that, the dark side of that fear, you know, you may not be inspiring the kind of positive feelings that you want someone to have when they think of your product. Um, but, you know, there you see some Crimson Trace ads where, you know, a guy is sitting on the ground in a dark parking lot or, you know, a woman is sitting in, in the back corner of a room where, you know, they've clearly just had some kind of defensive encounter, uh, you know, so that I think portrays both of those sides of, hey, you, you should be afraid that this could happen to you. However, if you have a crimson trace laser on your gun, at least you'll survive it, you know, so they weren't these kind of super victorious, uh, you know, defensive gun uh, owners celebrating their victory. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think that, that, that the, the fear angle is there, but it has to be tread upon lightly, you know, cause you don't want to have negative associations. Um, so right. uh, carry, carry confidence, you know, that, that sense of uh, advertising, I think you, you see much more, uh, which, you know, may in itself not be great because, you know, it sells, perhaps too much of that uh, uh, magic talisman sense of, of what a gun will do for you, right? Just by virtue of having the gun or, you know, 
there's that other Crimson Trace ad where the guy's holding the gun and he's got his hand up, like, stop right there, you know, as if, you know, that's all that you need to do and problem solved. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think advertising is not intended to be complex and reflect complex realities, you know, that it does give us an insight into what's important in a culture. Uh, but you're not often, you know, going to see the most complex representations there. Is that that sort of advertising wouldn't wouldn't be effective, especially the more mediated we get, right? The, the right. more we struggle to get eyeballs on on our products, you know. So you see, again, all of those words in in early advertisements, and now just much more pictures, you know. And some some ads have almost no words on them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Know, because you just you have to you have to resonate with a person in a moment yeah well we got to go to break and then i have another question um that sort of ties into all of this right now we're talking with professor david yumane you're listening to ballistic radio welcome back to ballistic radio brought to you by luckygunner.com and federal premium ammunition they paid for this so you don't have to um we're talking with professor david yumane and here's something i'm i'm curious about so you mentioned the Crimson Trace ads, and someone's just clearly had this defensive encounter. Um, I'm I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking about these types of ads uh, that are specifically focused along the lines of so not like hunting, and not like sport shooting. Um, but if you look at like the people in the ads, and not like what kind of people they are, but just like sort of the emotions that you know, they're expressing, right? Um, hunting, you, you, you know, you see that as a fun thing and the people are reflecting that like target shooting. You see that as a fun thing and the people are reflecting that. Um, when you get into like personal protection though, you see people that, um, it's very clear that this is not a good, a good thing that, that is going on. And do you think that there is, um, Hmm. Do you do you think that advertising in general inside of the firearms community, um, either overtly or covertly, does a good job of of promoting this idea that hey, if you get into a shooting, that's not a great thing, but at least you're a lot. I mean, do you know what I mean? Do, are do you do you think that there is sort of like this underlying base? Thing that's like, hey, if you have to use this, it's this isn't good. I, I'm I'm asking this question very ineloquently, and I apologize, but for whatever yeah. reason, do, do you kind of see what I'm asking? But, though, yeah, I mean, it's I think again, this gets at some of that that challenge because you want to represent the it as you know serious. It's definitely a serious moment, and I think you want to uh, kind of. Uh, portray the resolve or the determination of the person in that situation. Uh, so I think that's the most common uh, way that that people who are um, you know involved in uh, defensive firearm advertisements, um, to the extent that they're actually people there, because oftentimes it's just showing the guns. But you know they have these um, uh, uh, ways of analyzing facial expressions where you can break down what, what the mouth is doing, what, you know, the eyebrows are doing and the eyes. And one of the things that we're looking at in this gender advertisement, and we haven't thought about it in terms of self-defense, but just how, how are women portrayed when they have guns 
is you know looking at you know do they are they expressing determination mm-hmm. uh, and you know the shape of the shape of the mouth and the shape of the eyes can be analyzed to to look for that and I think that if you were to extend that to looking at uh, defensive uh, firearms advertisements that involve people you would you would see a lot of that sense of determination right so you don't want the person expressing fear right because they have your product why would they be fearful now they may want to fear being in that situation but once they're in that situation it has to be determination uh and whether that i've not been in a defensive uh, gun situation so i don't know what my face would look like i i suspect i might you know look surprised or afraid or startled or you know something something other than determined but uh, hopefully at some point you know de- the determination would come out but i think if you if you you know, going forward, look at uh, those kind of advertisements for Crimson Trace or other products that that the expression would would have that determination rather than than fear or you know capturing some of the other complexities of of what's going to happen. Uh, and again, you know, even even the ones that show the the post incident person sitting on the on the ground in the the parking garage, it doesn't begin to get at all of what that person is going to have to go through. You know, once once the police and the district attorney and other people show up, yeah. Well, that may be too much to. So it's too much to ask for advertising, probably. Well, yeah, I, yeah, I agree. Um, I I guess what, you know, what I'm curious about is, so if you look at people inside of the community, not all, but most generally acknowledge that self defense shooting is still a bad outcome. It's just Surviving it is better than not surviving it, right? And Mm -hmm. if you look at people outside of the gun community, there's sort of this pervasive idea that there's a bunch of people walking around just waiting to shoot somebody. Um, And I'm not not saying that there aren't those people that are just waiting to shoot somebody. Um, There was a a Florida case just recently uh, where I'm pretty sure that that's what that guy, uh, just based off of his previous actions, and the the situation the the things surrounding the situation that he ultimately ended up in he seemed like at least to me an individual that was looking for a fight and he'll be in jail for a while now um which as it should be but those are outliers most of the folks and most of the trainers that i know have a very clear understanding that eh, this isn't something we want to do it's just something we if we have to do it we want to come out the other side of it um and I guess what I was asking was whether or not the advertising reflects that, and it sounds like it does. Yeah, you know, this is one of the, the other things that I've been doing alongside this advertising is just kind of wandering around the gun training industry for the past couple of years. And, uh, and you know, absolutely the case that no, and obviously, I, you know, there are thousands of gun trainers I've looked at, you know, a couple dozen. Yeah. Uh, but... I've not been to any gun training course uh, in which anybody has said anything other than this is not what you want. Um, with the possible exception of Gabe Suarez, who even he says this is not what you want, un- only under certain circumstances. But uh, you know, it's definitely not at all how it's how it's portrayed. That uh, you know, stand your ground laws or shoot first laws that. Uh, encourage people to to act as vigilantes although you know we can think of instances in which that happens but you know there are 
there are millions of people who you know have a right to carry a firearm in public and and you know dozens who actually do that poorly in any given year yeah um well and the other thing so i think stand your ground and and things like that and i keep meaning to do a video about this but that is to me at least one of the most under misunderstood um and misapplied sort of concepts in inside of like on either side, like inside of the community, outside of the community, like stand your ground gets brought up. And generally, not always, but generally in the scope of that conversation, it is a struggle for me to not roll my eyes so far into the back of my head so quickly that it kills me. Like, you know, like physically, like disconnect something in my brain and I die. Um, so it's, it's, it's I think so, like the, one of the perverse things about that is that, the misrepresentation of what stand your ground laws mean by people who are anti-gun could actually lead people who are gun owners or gun carriers into misunderstanding what stand your ground laws mean. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, um, you know, I think that people who are, you know, on the, on the pro gun side really need to, to be out there, you know, talking to the other side as well as among ourselves to say, you know, this, this is what stand your ground means. Yeah. It does not mean what people say it means. Yeah. Um, Please don't just shoot somebody because you think you can. Yeah. Well, and it's, yeah, it's, uh, we don't have time. We've got, we've got about a minute and a half left. So, which is good because we've, we've found one of my, and there aren't many left, one of my hot button topics that I get fired up over. Um, but we'll just have to save that for another time. So, uh, yeah. if, if people are interested in reading more about your work or anything like that, where can they do that at? Well, so I think the, you know, biggest point of entry would be, uh, anything related to gun culture 2.0. So I have, a um, a blog under that URL gunculture2.0.com, um, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, and the other thing I did starting er, much earlier this year, at the be- kind of at the beginning of the year, I started a blog called Gun Curious, so guncurious.com, which is really meant uh, to take the conversation outside of uh, the gun culture and really try to get at some of those people who, you know, they don't really know where they stand relative to guns. So, you know, I try to keep that very informative, very apolitical, you know, not super emotional uh, and if, you know, people are interested in that or they have friends who are gun curious, you know, I'd, I'd encourage them to, to point people in that direction. Cool. Well, David, as always, sir, I super appreciate your time. I super appreciate you talking, everyone. I appreciate the opportunity and the, and the venue you provide for some uh, long-form discussion of complex issues. Ah, well, thanks, man. Uh, thank you so much. So anyway, guys, make sure you check out our website, BallisticRadio.com, like our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash BallisticRadio. And hey, keep leaving those five-star review on iTunes. It really helps us out. Um, yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. As always, be safe. See you next week.